1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Back. more of what you want to hear from the week that was. After widespread criticism of the slowness of Ontario's vaccine rollout, the province promised to do better. The premier vowing that by January 21st, all resident staff and essential caregivers in long-term care in the hardest hit areas, Toronto, Peel, York and Windsor, will get their shots. What about the people who live and work in the 138 homes in outbreak outside those regions? Meanwhile, the carnage continues and there's talk about possibly changing the vaccine protocol, extending the lag time between the first and second doses or eliminating the second dose altogether. Libby talked with University Health Network infectious diseases expert, Dr. Alain Weisman and Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association.
2: We are getting help. Absolutely, especially from our hospitals, uh, like, like UHN, who's, who's really been a great mobilizer in getting, uh, vaccine to, into arms and long-term care homes uh, across. Toronto region and, uh, and and all of our long-term care homes are mapped to hospitals across the province now. Uh, we have a lot of work to do though and uh, we absolutely need more help uh, as you as you noted Libby the, the numbers are, are trending in the wrong direction. Uh, we have to get out ahead of this. We know that our long-term care home uh, residents are absolutely the most vulnerable to this disease and uh, and we're racing against the clock and the time on this.
3: Alone, baseman, I mean, uh, it's great that they've started to get vaccinated. It seems to me that it's kind of uh, luck of the draw for the long-term care homes. I talked to your colleague, Dr. Brian Hodges, a few days ago. I was looking at pictures at your team vaccinating at uh, Castleview-Witchwood, which is right down the street from me. So uh, he said you, you're team is on track to finish the 15 homes they have uh, in a couple of days. But, you know, um, other regions, not so well organized.
4: Yes. So in Toronto, the uh, vaccination that has gone out through the tertiary centers, like the large hospitals here, have long-term care facilities affiliated with them. And so their teams have been able to organize and get out and vaccinate the long-term care homes, the patients and the staff working there. So, for example, UHN is affiliated with 15 of these and every other hospital in Toronto also does that. But in the areas outside of Toronto, um, certainly its it has started. It's just not happening at the pace uh, at the same rate that we've had inside Toronto. So it's not that the homes outside Toronto are not getting vaccinated, it's just that it'll happen currently, at least at a slower pace.
3: Well, yeah. And uh, Donna does it make sense to you that this, the rush on getting people vaccinated is, is only in the four hot spots when you have more than half of the homes in outbreak outside of those areas?
2: Well, we know there's a limited supply of vaccines, Libby, and so we know that we're, we're reliant on the supply chain to have the right vaccines come in. Uh, we were disappointed when uh, the Pfizer vaccine couldn't be moved into our long-term care homes, so there was a lag time in, in being able to vaccinate our, our residents, even even in the the, the four main hotspots. Uh, we know from Wave 1 what the, the, the greatest risk factors are and where we're seeing the greatest losses, and they are in the hotspots. Uh, we, we need to get the whole province, uh, vaccinated, but we have to be mindful of it, the supply chain and, and, and uh, making sure that we're getting into the homes where we know we have the greatest risks and, uh, community spread, hot spots, old homes, uh, as we've seen in, in some of the, the tragic outbreaks in, in this wave in Toronto, as soon as, uh, COVID gets into the homes and our staff get infected and our residents get infected, uh, we lose staff and the home becomes so Profoundly destabilized, creating even more risks. So we, we do support uh, the prioritization of the hotspots, but recognize um, all of our seniors and all of our residents and our staff and our essential visitors uh,
3: need to be vaccinated as quickly as possible. Alone, what about communication and and help and all of that?
4: Yeah. uh, Well, I think this is one example of a communication to set expectations for the community about what they're anticipating for vaccination. So setting a deadline of January 21st to vaccinate all the healthcare workers and members of the the LTCs is a good start to notify everyone about their goals. I think there's going to need to be some communication about specific populations. I think everyone's going to be very curious, of course, to know about whether vaccination is safe in certain populations like pregnant or breastfeeding patients patients who are immunocompromised. So I think communicating that out uh, to, the, to the whole province is very important because you don't want to have a scenario where the vaccine is now available to everyone and people are hesitant or unsure due to some lack of education or lack of, of information for them to read about so that they can make a decision for themselves.
1: University Health Network infectious diseases expert, Dr. Alon Vaisman, and Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association. This is Zuma Radio's best of fight back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. The province keeps saying it's doing everything possible in long-term care during the pandemic, but that's not what we're learning from those on the ground, including physicians in the community. Libby spoke with the new owners of the Toronto Star, Paul Rivette and Jordan Bitove, who are adding their voices to the campaign demanding change to the system, as well as geriatrics specialist, Dr. Nathan Stahl from Sinai Health.
5: We have never had this level of community transmission of COVID-19 going on. I mean, we are smashing day-over-day records in terms of case numbers. And what we see often in these homes is by the time, um, you know, anyone's aware that something bad is going on in there, they have these explosive outbreaks with dozens, if not hundreds of residents. And by the time, you know, a hospital gets involved in it, most of the residents have been infected and, you know, the horse is out of the barn, so to speak, uh, and, and these residents will go on to die despite the fact that, you know, they may be able to better support the staffing within these homes.
3: I would like to welcome the new owners of the Toronto Star, Paul Rivette, chairman and co-proprietor of Torstar and Jordan Bitov, publisher of the Toronto Star and co-proprietor of Tour star. I'm just going to uh, quote one line from your editorial. We are writing out of anger and sorrow over the inhumane treatment of one of the most vulnerable and venerable groups in our society, our elders. W- what made you take that step?
6: Well, Libby, it's, it's Paul. I, I'll go first and Jordan can add. Uh, you know, we, uh, we've only been here as the owners for four months um, and, and there's been Dozens of our reporters and columnists talking about this issue for over a decade, um, but but for us uh, sitting here, you know, just finally we're drawn to action by by the reports that we're getting from our own people about the the, the atrocious conditions and 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 the the lives being lost, and 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 just felt like they're just there is not enough being done to expose the problem and to and to get action and um and every day it's it's not one or two it's dozens of people dying and it's preventable it's it's it's
7: atrocious and so we just thought we had to jump in and do something jordan first of all olivia i want to commend you and moses and and zoomer for really uh and all the wonderful things that carp has done for um for making this a a, a major issue and Thank for you. standing up for your uh, for uh, all your listeners and and your readers and that's honestly all we're trying to do is we're trying to do what anyone I think in and, uh, and I, oh, Paul and I always talk about it we're in a very privileged position and we're humbled by this that we have the ability um, to uh, share information to be able to um, affect. Uh, policy and hold our leaders accountable. And the hope really is that, you know, one life lost is, is too many. And Paul has uh, a mother, I, my mother is 93 years old, and we've all, I think we've all had friends that have been affected by it and seen how deplorable the situation is. And our ask really is, I don't think, and we're, you know, you'll see it in the, in the next few days, but we have a list of asks, um, and uh, I won't call them demands, but things that we would like to see happen immediately. And it comes, this all comes from a very, very good place, which is, you know, just treating our elders with respect and dignity. Uh, they have given us in this country so much, and we owe it to them.
3: Dr. Stahl, uh, is the the government just kind of caught like a deer in the headlights? They Because the, it seems that you know, uh, there's not really an urgent response to the crisis part of this, as opposed to the fact that it's been going on for decades. And yes, the system has to be overhauled.
5: Yeah, uh, you know, I've often wondered this, you know, one of the things I think we've gotten into the rut of in this pandemic is we seem to be able to only focus on one thing at a time, right? So Early on in the pandemic, it was hospitals and critical care capacity. Then we had the moment when it was long-term care, where that's where all the deaths were happening. Over the summer, we focused on schools. Um, in the fall, we focused on sort of reopening. And now it's sort of vaccine, right? And, and it seems to be one issue that dominates everything, um, and people are so overstretched in our healthcare system, that um, without leadership in other areas, these things do not seem to get the attention and political will and the political action that they need um, and, and right now if you look where all the focus is and where the where all the leaders are it's in front of freezers with vaccines and at vaccine administration clinics but the entire long-term care sector is on fire right now
1: geriatric specialist dr Nathan Stahl from Sinai Health and the new owners of the Toronto star Paul Ravette and Jordan Bito I'm Bob konsik and this is uma radio's best to fight back coming up after the break American political experts examine the violent assault on the capitol as the U.S. prepares for Inauguration Day.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Bob Komsic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back.
1: It's not something Americans will soon forget nor recover from the violent assault on the Capitol by riled-up supporters of Donald Trump that left four dead, at least 14 police officers hurt, and dozens arrested, many for violating a curfew imposed by the mayor of Washington. Joining Libby to discuss were Melissa Miller, professor of political science at Bowling Green State University, Republican strategist Seth Weathers, and Larry Hawes, a former White House communications strategist.
8: Of course, it was sickening. I found myself uh, riveted to the TV with my stomach churning. Uh, You know, we are known as, and I think for most of our history have been, uh, considered the world's leading democracy, uh, a beacon uh, for the rest of the world, uh, for would-be Democrats, for dissidents who are working hard in authoritarian countries, and I was embarrassed. And thought that it was terribly undermining our image both now and for some time in the future until we sort of right the ship, presumably under President uh, Biden. So that's first, and then secondly, I'll say briefly that it was, however sickening uh the logical conclusion of four years of this presidency, uh the breaking of norms, and the fact that There were still votes to challenge the electors in Congress, Uh, even in the aftermath of this sickening insurrection, was very disheartening and proved that, you know, the Republican Party has got a lot of soul searching to do. And we're likely to see a real civil war among that party as to what its future direction uh, is going to be in the months and years ahead.
3: Okay, Dr. Melissa Miller, what did you feel watching this?
9: Oh, I shared so many of the same reactions that Larry just expressed. I will say that when the Congress reconvened at 8 p.m. last night, it did give me a sense of reassurance, however brief, that our democratic institutions and our Constitution would not be stopped by this violent protest and and storming of the U.S. Capitol. So it was reassuring to see the Constitution kick in, to see the Vice President Pence uh, preside in his ceremonial role over the proceedings. And yet, like Larry, um, I think there's just deep concern that I feel at least over whether there will be further violence. There were other state legislatures that went into lockdown across the country um, because there were some demonstrations and some threats made. So I just don't even know whether this is over in the next two weeks, in the last two weeks of the Trump administration, because I feel like the genie is out of the bottle. I think that Trump supporters are just really all in, in terms of not just their support for President Trump, but their belief in the falsehoods that he has so unfortunately conveyed about the election. Civil War has been bandied about. I don't think that's what the United States faces, but it does appear that there's a war within the Republican Party, Um, and it was made plain yesterday with um, violent protesters. Some are calling them insurrectionists, and federal prosecutors will determine whether or not they're prosecuted for insurrection or not. Um, Uh, On the one hand, storming the Capitol... And meanwhile, some top Republicans, including Senator Mitch McConnell, um, is condemning the violence and saying that this
3: was a failed insurrection. Okay, Seth Weathers.
6: Uh, yeah, I mean, it was yesterday was probably, I, I can't remember being as angry as I was yesterday watching this. Um, obviously, the people that did that. Uh, they they don't stand for the Republican Party that I stand for, and they certainly don't have the same beliefs that I have. And I hope that they are all um, arrested and rounded up and get the that stand of the wall thrown at them. And I, I just feel that it was, it the you know from a PR standpoint, which I know sounds cold to say, the, the Republican Party definitely took a hit yesterday because you had these people doing it, claiming to be doing it in the name of essentially the Republican Party. And with the American media, we know that that's not going to be soon forgotten. Unlike the sweeping under the rug, the violence from the Antifa and Black Lives of the entire summer, the media will actually cover this. And so that's something that obviously as Republicans, we're going to have to be fully aware of.
1: Republican strategist Seth Weathers, Larry Hawes, a former White House communications strategist, and Melissa Miller, professor of political science at Bowling Green State University. This is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Libby has spent a lot of time talking about our most vulnerable in nursing homes and the urgency of protecting them and vaccinating them. But what about vulnerable elderly people in the community? Libby spoke with Bonnie Powell, a primary caregiver to her 87-year-old mother who has dementia, and Dr. William Reichman, president and CEO of Baycrest.
10: Every life is equally valuable, so everybody's entitled to be protected. But with that said, when we have limited supply of vaccine where a demand outstrips supply, then we do have to have some kind of prioritized approach to this. And that largely is based on doing a risk assessment uh, in terms of who's most at risk for getting exposed to the virus and who's most at risk if they do get exposed to the virus of becoming sick from it uh, and perhaps even um, passing away from it. Uh, and to date, the reason why there's so much emphasis on long-term care is because of the risk assessment, that older people living in close proximity to each other and who are cared for by multiple staff in these congregate settings have increased risk uh, for, for getting exposed to the virus. Also, many of the healthcare workers work in multiple sites, at least up until recently. Uh, many of these older adults in congregate care settings uh, take meals together, etc. So they're at increased risk. And because they're older adults and because they have comorbid medical conditions, that then puts them at increased risk, not only for getting the virus, but for getting sick uh, from the virus. So I think the societal approach to date is based on what we call a stratified or hierarchical risk assessment, both for being exposed to the virus and then if being exposed, uh, getting sick from it.
3: But what about people like Bonnie's mom? I mean, aren't they at risk as well?
10: They are, but they are definitely at risk. Uh, but the issue is, on a comparative basis, if you have limited supply of vaccine, where do you distribute the vaccine first? Uh, and I think that the decision's been made across several jurisdictions that living in a congregate care facility where you're exposed to other older people, you're exposed as well to perhaps multiple visitors in the facility, and critically exposed to staff, that are coming from the community and are in place every day um, working closely with you as an individual older adult, that's one of the highest, if not the highest risk category for exposure. And the people who live in nursing homes, by nature of living in a nursing home, these are typically very frail people physically and cognitively. So that's why they're at the top of the list. That doesn't mean that um, other frail people living in the community aren't at risk. They are. But the difference is being in a congregate care setting.
3: Bonnie, how frail is your mother? Well, she is quite frail. Um,
11: I think that seniors at home—you know—we were we did have caregivers. We had part-time caregivers, but as soon as they started saying that, you know, that 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 caregivers going from place to place are possibly um, a way that seniors can from can get COVID, um, we, we canceled the caregivers and we basically locked down. So, but these seniors who are in, um, have a care at home, they're not specifically listed in this ethical framework that I've been in touch with the three members of the um, vaccine distribution task force. And um, basically, I I totally agree. I wouldn't argue with Dr. Reichman that, you know, we need to prioritize those people he's describing. Absolutely, 100%. But we want to see the you know, where in the queue these people in home care would be, because they're not prioritized for vaccines or in-home testing. And I've heard of a few cases where seniors at home have been infected by private caregivers and become ill, and a few have passed away. But not much is said about these folks.
10: But I also think that while we're waiting for the vaccine, Anything we can do to get people enthusiastic about getting vaccinated, we need to do, because I hear what Bonnie's saying. You know, she's eager. She wants to get vaccinated and get her mom vaccinated. Um, I have less concern about Bonnie and her mom. I'm concerned about um, large numbers of healthcare workers that have a uh, vaccine hesitancy uh, and perhaps have um, embraced some myths about the safety um, of, of vaccines uh, that could really get in the way of us reaching the kind of population immunity we need to put this pandemic behind us.
1: Dr. William Reichman, president and CEO of Baycrest, and Bonnie Powell, a primary caregiver to her 87-year-old mother who has dementia. I'm Bob Comstock, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Fight Back with Libby's
1: Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Cheryl from Newmarket wonders about the province's vaccine rollout plan for long-term care.
9: I am an essential caregiver. My husband is in long-term care. And I'm questioning that January 21st date. I was in... I actually have just left the building. And I just now was able to give permission for him to have the shot. They're getting it on the 13th. They have no idea when it's available for an essential caregiver. So I am questioning if you've been told the 21st of January... I don't know who's told you because I'm really questioning that. They, the people, the staff at his long term care don't know.
1: Shirley in Collingwood shared another vaccine distribution story.
9: I have a, do- a granddaughter that works
2: in a nursing home in Cambridge. They have two workers who have COVID. None of the patients have COVID. But anyway, uh, they have been apparently allotted twenty doses. vaccination. And they were asked if they wanted, if they want to have it, they put their names in a hat and they're going to draw out 20 names.
1: Joan in Niagara called to express frustration about the tragic situation in long-term care.
11: When are they going to get the politicians out of there and put somebody in that knows what they are doing? I mean, this is getting to be, it's
1: disgusting. Ron and Guelph called with a question about the dire state of affairs in long-term care.
8: A lot of people are calling for these, uh, um, some of these homes to be closed, um, you know, their infection factories
7: and everything else. But what do we do if we close all these long-term care homes? What do we do with all the people that are already there if you close the homes?
0: And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Mary Ann in North York, who had this message for politicians who vacationed abroad.
11: Shame on every one of those politicians! It's disgusting. Not only should they be all tossed to the curb, they should all be given a hefty fine. My husband's been ten months in um, in a nursing home. Before COVID hit, I took him out all the time, days, out up north just for a beautiful drive. Ten months, he has not seen outside. He's in a tiny room with a television. And I travel and visit him sitting there. All I'm doing is he wants to go for a nice long drive. And these idiots do this? Are you kidding me? Shame on every one of them.
1: That does it for this week's Best of Fightback on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us between noon and one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca, follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby, and have your say anytime on our Fightback voicemail at 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Komsic. Join us again next weekend when we'll
0: round up the best of Fightback. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.